1: And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.
2: You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
1: Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 752. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you're probably saying, but Chris Hardwick, wasn't the last episode 752 with Dirk Alborn and Bebop Gresta? Uh, well, I did say that, yes. But I was lying to you. Unintentionally, though, it was a clerical error. And I just mean it was like a bookkeeping error, not like a cleric came in and cast a create-water spell, and I drown in my own ignorance. Uh, which would be one way to look at it, so... But you know what? I like mistakes. Mistakes are fun. The imperfections of life are what make life interesting. So... I guess let's just say there's two 752s now, technically. I hope you're having a nice week. This podcast is going out Wednesday. It's the middle of the week. If you subscribe to a basic work week, maybe that's the middle of your week. I don't know. I don't know if you're listening to this on a Wednesday. Are you? Don't answer that. I can't hear you. But you can say, you know what, how about this? I'm going to give you the opportunity to answer so that it feels like uh, we're actually having a conversation. Oh, what day is it that you're listening to the podcast? Hmm. Oh my uncle listens to it that day too See I tried to make it personalized So that it felt like we were having a conversation uh, I hope that Made you feel more loved and supported This week uh, I have some Nerdist Community Corkboard stuff To tell you about The Nerdist Community Corkboard Just fill in a song here in your head Whatever the song is If you want to submit a song you can fill in a submit a jingle if you want Or I'll just go Nerdist Community Corkboard uh, Like old timey radio Okay this says uh, this is from Ricky Bagwell. Hello, our gaming group, 417 Gamers, is teaming with local gaming store, Metagames Unlimited, to have a newbie night on Saturday, November 14th, in Springfield, Missouri. We'll be playing and teaching gateway games. This will be an easy-going night for people to come out and have fun, meet new people, and learn a new games for four. This will be an easy-going night for people to come out and have fun, meet new people, and learn a game or four. People can just bring themselves and a friend if they like. We'll be teaching and playing from 5 to 10 p.m. For more info, hit our Facebook page up at uh, facebook.com slash 417gamers or meetup at meetup.com slash 417gamers. P.S., enjoy your burrito. P.P.S., you enjoy your burrito, Ricky. Also, um, all right, Katie submitted this one, (laughs) which it's adorable. It's adorable. I don't know why. I I feel like I have to let you know it's Katie. You know, Katie is... The best friend to every animal in the world. And so she submitted this podcast for me to tell you about, which is Brooke writes, my friend Justin created Purcast, a podcast of cats purring. All right. I'm kind of on board with this actually Every episode features one of his cats Or friends cats purring Along with stories about each cat and their awesomeness Justin also happens to rescue cats And is a foster with barks Helping sweet furry kitties find forever homes Check him and the kitties out Percast.com. You know I I feel like it's a good idea I feel like Percast Makes a tremendous amount of sense now There's a lot of negative news out there so, if you happen to watch the news or read a newspaper, and then you start shaking to your core because you feel like like every, every generation does, that we're totally screwed in the face, listen to Purrcasts and let some purring kitties make it all better for you. Uh, that is a fantastic idea. This episode, is Brian Grazer returns, he was just on the podcast not long ago, but he returns with his friend and partner, Ron Howard, who was rad. You know, it's so nice to meet one of your heroes and they turn out to be super rad. I don't know, there was some sort of weird Happy Days curse where everyone who was ever on that show seems to be super awesome because Henry Winkler was rad, Ron Howard was amazing, and they were, and Ron and Brian were both fantastic together. And when you look at the wide berth of things they produce, and until you look at the IMDb page and go, oh, they did that, they did that, they did that, these guys, I, I, I am, I was so in awe of them, and Ron is just the friggin' best and Brian Grazer is a wealth of knowledge from people that he's interviewed over the years. So I want them to come back as a team again and just chat some more. Here's the Nerdist Podcast. That's the other 752 with Ron Howard and Brian Grazer. Katie, roll the percast.
0: Now entering Nerdist.com.
1: Brian, you were just on not that long ago, and Ron, it is wonderful to see you. And uh, Good to I, be on. you guys are the, the main. The main thing that you guys are promoting right now is the GE Breakthrough Project, which I believe premieres November first on National Geographic. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. going to cool. say 9 p.m. If, if my brain is <laughs> wow. uh, is 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 being useful today, <laughs> but um, uh, it, but essentially, it's it's ex- it's it's exactly what it sounds like. It's it, people who are making incredible scientific breakthroughs uh, and. There's a lot of different guest directors, right? Paul Giamatti and Angela, Angela Bassett, Bassett, Bassett and right. uh, uh, Pete, Berg, Pete and Berg. And Berg. Oh, Peter Berg. Oh, wow. Yeah, Brett yeah. Ratner. And so, what was it? Who, where, where did the project come from? And who, you know, how, why did you guys decide to get on board? Kind of initiated with Brian in an
3: original conversation, and then it evolved through really quickly through some 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 really good meetings over there.
2: Yeah, but basically, what it, I, as you know, because you've interviewed me, I have this curiosity discipline that I do every two weeks. Well. Beth Comstock, who's vice chairman of GE, does a similar thing kind of with a different demographic, all young people, really like young tech. um, But she's a really cool person, and I've known her a while. She works for Jeff Immelt, who's CEO of – who I also know of GE. And they're both cool, curious, generous you know, regular people, even though they're, you know, running this $300 billion company. And so they said, they approached me basically, Beth, after after a curiosity conversation she and I were having, we talked about maybe doing 30 second spots. I said, I don't think so. Let me think about it. And then I started thinking about how, how I romantically kind of look at GE when it, was Thomas Edison and when he created, you know, electricity and uh, found all multiple uses for it and I said, I'll do that, and then we talked about – then we just created this idea called Breakthrough, which would be like 30 for 30s, these independent shows. But for science. But for yeah. science, yeah. exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's <you>. the
3: pitch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's 30 for 30, uh, yeah. For science. I mean, I'm, being as someone who doesn't really watch sports, I would totally – I go, oh, for so- oh, yeah, okay, I'm in. I'm totally in think, uh, because it's – there's so many um, – Especially now, we're so addicted. To, I feel like our culture is, is addicted to advancement. We expect advancement at any given interesting, moment. Interesting, really interesting point. Yeah. And, I, and I think you're right. And what quickly evolved
3: was the idea of not so much looking back, but, but really looking forward at this moment and, and, and humanizing it. And this is sort of where we come in, is in terms of, 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 of wanting to celebrate... Uh, individuals who are who are actually investing in their lives in making these kinds of breakthroughs. So it's kind of it's sort of understanding where the science is, mm-hmm. understanding what the problems are, what the crisis is to use the dramatic narrative term. Sure. And then here are the protagonists who are trying to act upon that, and um, and and you know and and our, so that's that's the way we began to shape it, and that's one of the reason that we. Instead of going to documentarians to oversee each individual one, we went we went to narrative storytellers, uh, and uh, to to sort of you know to infuse it with that kind of focus uh, on on story really, which is what what we're always about.
2: Yeah, prop you know we would find there's so many by the way problems on the planet, and so we would curate those as we did our first six, and then we're going to do more, and then we find. People, human beings that are in the middle of these crises and problems that are creating solutions. So you don't have to worry. There's hope here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a person that, uh, that I, I, I feel like I foolishly do this thing that most human beings do where I go – you know, I probably shouldn't have a cheeseburger today, but in thirty years, they'll just replace my blood because, t- like, I, I'm I'm really playing the long game on technology. I'm like, science, will be fine, and 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 I worry that maybe that's not entirely the case. So, where are the biggest? Breakthroughs? Are they, is it, are, is it specific technologies that are exciting to you? Or is it, because I feel like there should be an advancement in infrastructure to, to handle emerging technology. It's one of the things that kind of came to light in, in the
3: one that I directed, which is about aging. And it's much more immediate because you're dealing with a lot of people who, you know, can't look 30 years down the road. Right. Um, and, and yet, many, many people who, who do. And so there is that question of do you, you know, do you keep pushing that one? Uh, sort of down the road, kicking that can down the road, or or do you address it now? And for that very reason, it's been really difficult on a kind of an institutional level and on a governmental level to even look at it as a particular issue. And this is the thing that was sort of surprising, is that there are, there are, there are technologies, there are, there are um, um, there's, and, and, and drugs that are beginning to promise this possibility that you can not attack just diabetes, not just look at cancer, but in fact... Um, uh, you know, deal with aging as an idea. Well, right. it turns out the FDA, FDA doesn't know what to do with that. We sort of stumbled into this really interesting, oh, really? Pro- you know, problem. They, they're, you know, they're they're sympathetic like any human being would be, but they sort of uh, they they don't know quite how to cope with it, and it's up to science to sort of prove that. Um, this holistic approach this, uh, and when I say holistic I don't necessarily mean uh, Chinese herbs right uh, but a total body approach is 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 worth tackling and so sound bites
1: beca- wrong <laughs> <laughs> it, became a, it became a human interest story no but no actually that's that's the, first of all I just want to go back and make the point that I, I think most people don't understand what the word holistic actually means and I oh. think you're right I think oh. it has become synonymous with that but it really does mean everything is a, like you're dealing with the whole it, with the whole thing from right. top to bottom. And uh and, and and aging is one of those interesting topics where I go, well, you know if they could cure aging, is that a good thing or is it like uh, being able to use your cell phone on a plane? Like,
2: <laughs> it sounds like it'd be
1: good, but then you'd have to hear someone
2: talking on the And, well, like, oh, fuck, and we know.
3: and we deal with that controversy and all, and all of the all of the all of the stories. In fact, Brian was always pushing for that as a good good storyteller that he is to 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 all, to tell as many sides as we could. It's still what we really have is a very cool, kind of personalized, um, sh- brief look at the issue now and what's uh, these these crises and what science is doing, you know, to try to tackle them. And it and and it is kind of heroic because we we believe people who are dedicated themselves to that are um, you know they're making sacrifices and taking big
1: risks. So when you go in as a director for something like this, I mean, when you're when you have um, when you have a scripted project. You, I assume you know you know where it's going to go, most of the time, right? You have a, you have an, at least you have a script and an idea. Well, there's a, there's a rough outline in this case, but
3: when you're doing a documentary, you know you do have to be ready to to take advantage of what you find. And,
1: and you don't know. So when you're going into this, what is your what is your thought? I mean, do you have a, a hypothesis or something that you want to prove, or do you say? I'm just going to go into this and see where it leads me. This one was very much see where it leads me and, and beginning with the research.
3: So we, we, you know, we had a kind of a point of view by the time we were starting to, uh, starting to shoot, but we still didn't really know about these, these scientists who were right this moment – Kind of struggling to get this idea through, and there's a there's a line of narration, and I happen to be the narrator. Uh, some people think it's science sounding an awful lot like Arrested Development, <laughs> <laughs> but I wound up being the narrator.
1: So Michael Bluth is trying to fight <laughs> uh,
3: the FDA, <laughs> yeah. reluctant to hear what the Bluths, I mean the
1: elite science. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, and that's where Barry Zuckercorn comes in <laughs> to defend uh, the FDA. Uh, but it, but the whole the, the, but how do you you know when you're done you know when you're when you're investigating this and you feel like well there are infinite possibilities how do you know when you're when you've completed the story air air
3: (laughs) dates and no money left (laughs) it could go on and on and on but that's why these things did become kind of snapshots let's take let's let's get these people with a point of view let's come in and by the way i gotta say GE very helpful and to be honest not all about g e all about science, mm-hmm. and you know, and where GE is uh, doing something interesting, they'd let us know, and we could cover that. And, and where somebody else is, that's that's exciting too. Yeah, that uh, was the uh, definitely really cool.
2: the cool and at, at, at point of inception when we all came up with this, worked on it together. GE was super cool about it because they're involved in probably a hundred of these different types of, types of kind of medical science try problem solving equations. You know that com- their company, and they're very conscientious about it, but. They made a point to say we don't want to be in it. We don't want to be the protagonist. We don't want to say GE's fixing it, even though they're you know they are working on it. And also, like a very good friend of mine named Andy Conrad is a geneticist. He works at uh, he runs Google X with, which is like 250 scientists and doctors all over the world, like working to solve problems like this. So none of these people they're kind of um, kind of like. You know, the way we approached astronauts and firemen, they're sort of selfless kind of heroes in a way, and they don't really feel like they have to be protagonists in this. But I think it's good for GE. It's good for, you know, companies that care about – the have a social consciousness and are interested, but it's cooler when they don't want to have to be the person solving the problem. And I'd also say that on a – just, you know,
3: on a a creative level, on a storytelling level – You know the National Geographic execs and the people weighing in there were extremely conscientious, and it was sort of like, "Yeah, you guys are great storytellers, but we got to get the science right." And um, (laughs) they were they were they were very you know just holding everything to a particular standard. So for me, this this is an exciting time for our company in terms of. The, the the way the the various mediums are broadening out and the way programming is shifting and changing the tastes are evolving it's uh you know it's it's just giving people like brian and i and 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 you know a chance to to work on a lot of different things and and uh and grow from that it's pretty it's really great
2: yeah i mean like the hip thing is is that it's re- this is a moment right now and it's going to continue where it's a very empowering for artists, storytellers. Um, there was a shift, and there's always some sort of shift in show business, of course, right? Um, where the corporation, you know, the movie companies and the television networks were really dominating control of what the narratives themselves would be. And now it's sort of shifting because platforms are becoming, there are more of them, and they're oddly enough becoming agnostic. Sure. So it's the artists that are driving what... The value of the platform and the story itself and it's, and the f- story connection to the consumer is becoming more direct. Sure, and it, because the gatekeeper I mean, changed. Yeah, the, gate- the gatekeepers, gatekeepers are – and, and they're and still like, changing. Yeah, and even, of course, on our show Empire, I mean th- that wasn't supposed to happen, but it changed the landscape of Fox. Certainly. You know, I <laughs> –
1: I, I annoyed a lot of people because obviously Empire trends every week that it's on and I just start I, I will tweet facts about the Empire Strikes Back and tag it Empire
2: that's really, that is so funny, and be so like funny. why
1: are you you know just for because I'm like oh well Empire's trending so you yeah. know like, oh Hans Frozen and Carbonite what are they going to do hashtag yeah. Empire and, then, and just funny.
3: to see I, how many. I picked up it. that one <laughs> I saw that one. did
1: that's I'm glad I'm an yeah, empire, empire fan yeah it's good it's good and, uh, yeah. and I think Force Awakens might, might uh, give us some more of that feeling that Empire gave us. I'm really excited about the trailers. Oh, and, and, uh, so good. And... Uh, Still can't trick me into watching football to watch the trailer tonight. I'll just see it online. Uh, but, um, <laughs> I, I, Ron, how, how are you such a nice, normal guy? I mean, you, you started in television... For in the 50s, when it seems like that was a period of time where they were like, oh, we let the kids out of their cages a couple hours a day. And then, you know, before people really started understanding what the effects on young people could be and the pressures right. and particularly at that time. So how are you such a nice, normal, having worked in for all this time in the business? I, well, I, you know, you could ask
3: Brian if, how nice and normal he thinks <laughs> I really am. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're nice. Uh, well, I, you know, I think – it. it it's, it sort of comes back to, um, I think, my parents in a lot of ways. My dad's this unbelievably grounded guy. He's an actor. Yeah. So it was never dazzling particularly to him. He's a character actor. Rance Howard's still at it. Um, at, well, he doesn't like me to say his age, but it's, it's <laughs> kind of fantastic how, how, how much he's working at this point in his life. And, uh, um, and, and, um, and I think because he, growing up, two things. One, I just liked it. I just always liked it. I liked being around it. I liked being around the storytelling, the creative problem solving. As a little kid, I found it fascinating, and I was sort of allowed to witness it and be a part of it. It was, it was a very collegial kind of creative vibe on The Andy Griffith Show, so I didn't have that when I would go be in a movie like The Music Man or something. But around The Andy Griffith Show, I could see this energy and all this laughter and all this hard work, and it was adding up to a number one television show. And so I was sort of learning a way to work. That was really useful. And then the other thing was that I would see my dad out there going up on auditions, uh, writing TV shows, sometimes getting the job, you know, mostly not, and and but loving it, loving the process. And the combination of those two things I think gave me a, a sense of perspective that was pretty healthy and just allowed me to keep chasing the dream and, and understanding also that I was really fortunate to be there.
1: Gosh, but you're so lucky that you didn't
3: have the kind of actor dad who was like – how much did you make this week? Yeah, you know, like the, really that
1: really—that wasn't competitive with you in any way. There's a
3: lot of luck in this. I mean, unbelievable about that. And uh, you know, and even when I was younger, uh, my first couple, the first things that I directed, he and I would co, co- the auto, Grand Theft Auto. He and I co <laughs> wrote that, you know. And he was, and then a couple things, TV movies. He was, a, he was a, involved as a producer. I wanted him in there. And then when I started to evolve to another level and started partnering with people like Brian and stuff like that, he would never once said, what's my role in that? It was. Oh, yes,
2: of... he did. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know that, but I handled that guy bought him, uh, bought him out? I gave him a pretty thick stack of hundreds.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, to be on television, to be on a show like The Andy Griffith Show, even Happy Days, there's nothing that really exists like it anymore because of the way that entertainment is so fragmented. And that to to be on a show that literally, like... 50, 60 70 million people would watch is, is is a staggering thought
3: yeah well it is and it has and that has changed and and yet the making of the shows hasn't changed much I mean it's that's what's it's just still those same those same set of um, challenges and the same creative energy um, and I think you know, when you get into something like Breakthrough, or I did the Jay Z documentary a couple of years ago, and I'm starting to move into this documentary world. Brian had been at at it for a while with Beyond the Mat and Deep Throat, and um, uh, but but it's it's really exciting because I I've learned that I can actually apply a lot that I've learned that I've uh, that I've um, a lot of my experiences and as a storyteller to these. Documentaries and um,
2: without distorting them, without having a script ahead of time. And you also saw Scorsese do it, who's someone that you like a lot and, and you believe in. And Spike and Lee and, and John Demme. Yeah.
1: You know. I mean, because it's, it's an incredibly brave move, at least it seems like an incredibly brave move to leave a show like Happy Days to launch a directing career. I mean, to leave the bit. I mean, it was legitimately for people, because I'm of an age where I watched it when it was in yeah. first run. Was, was the biggest sitcom at the time. <laughs> to, to leave the biggest show at the time to go, yeah. I'm just going to go try this other thing was a pretty amazing move. I thought well,
2: that was pretty crazy because yeah. we met while he was Still on, the show. on this show and I didn't really even know he had these grand ex, uh, expectations or hopes of being you know, a, master, a director, much less a master filmmaker winning Oscars and stuff. I had no idea. I just thought he's a really cool guy. Uh, he emanates this sort of sense of goodness that... Everybody gets to re- – you receive it when you're around him. He just this aura that I felt. But I didn't know he had this, um, this you know, deep uh, sense of commitment to doing this. And when he left, it was really controversial. I mean it was kind of an explosive moment for Happy Days.
3: It, I, for me, it was just – f- um, you know, I, I had this, this, this fire in the belly. You know, I mean I was just – was, I was yearning to do it before I – went to Happy Days. I left USC Film School to do Happy Days. I thought it was a good job. And then went on and on and on. And, it, and I got married very young. Cheryl and I married at 21. And I remember working very hard on the show and realizing that I had done nothing about advancing my directing for on, about a year. And I, so I bought a Moviola and set it in our apartment right, right, right there where you just couldn't miss it. And I, my, my thinking was every day that I walk in and out, I want to see the movieola oh, with wow. no film on it. <laughs> just to remind <laughs> uh, you. Just to remind me. And um, so I was just committed to it. And and, uh, when, uh, and I was directing during the hiatus, but I also realized that if I was going to become a feature director, I couldn't
1: be doing it in the three months that I had off. I needed to really be available. You know, it's so important for people to understand that because, uh, particularly culture now, I feel I feel like people are so people are so money obsessed about things, and they go, "Well, if you have money, then it shouldn't matter." And it's like, but you still need to enjoy what you're doing. Right. At a certain point, mm-hmm. there's no amount of money that's going to make you any happier if you're not doing what or, you're doing. Well, in fact, we all know a lot of people with plenty of money that are
3: who, who are who are miserable, and it's, it's trapped
2: in their money, <laughs>
3: <laughs> kinda, you know. And uh, uh, George Lucas who's always been a bit of a mentor and has made, you know, vast sums and early, early on, like right after, I don't know, Empire Strikes Back, probably. He, I remember talking to him and he said, you know, money's really an interesting thing. It's great to feel secure. It's great to know you can go on vacation. It's great to have a car that you like to drive and to know that if anybody in your family needs medical care, you can, you can help facilitate that. So beyond that, the, 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 the luxury tax you pay – for the other stuff, is, <laughs> is 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 almost debilitating, and, and so you know it, it's uh, e- easy for for folks with fat bank bank accounts to say, I suppose, but he's always had a kind of pr- perspective and a wisdom, e- even on his own sure. wealth,
1: and I think there's just something to that. You well, know? yeah, and and when you look back, I think it was the best decision for you to make because. You know, you could have been stuck on the show for a while longer, and who knows what would have happened at that point. Like, you really had to... And by, I have to say, Night Shift is, I think, is probably one of my favorite comedies of all, 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 all time. You know, we shot Night Shift here. Are you serious at Hollywood Center? <laughs> you shot this here? Yeah. Bill Blazczykowski? You bet. Oh, come on. I had no idea. That's fu- that's amazing. You feed mayonnaise to tuna fish. Right yes, yes. Call Star <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that movie... Uh, it it was such a and and the fact that I, you're only you play the saxophone player right you play the yeah. the, the saxophone player when I faked the saxophone. yeah you play the saxophone player where Henry Winkler is right. just oh he's such a nice guy he writes yeah. a check but uh, but you you know you could have put yourself in the movie and you you didn't so why the decision to pull your face off of camera <laughs> well I had been in the first movie
3: that I did. To, that's the only way I could get it going was Roger Corman and Grand Theft Auto. Right. And, and I pretty much hated it. And I, and, uh, <laughs> the and I made a lot of money though. It did well. No, I didn't hate the movie. Yeah. I didn't like being in right, it. Right, right, right. And this was Brian's idea and his baby. And we got this script going that was kind of a miracle. And uh, I didn't, I don't think, I don't think I was the right guy for it and I don't think Brian ever
2: would have even as a producer wanted me to do it. <laughs> well, I had two projects. One was I'd written a, a really bad draft of Splash, the man in, you know, man falling in love with a mermaid. Yep. And the other was a call girl ring running out of the New York City morgue, which was a real R-rated idea because it involves prostitution. Right. So, I wanted him to do the mermaid, but he absolutely didn't want to do that. He said, "Look, I'm off Andy Griffith, happy days I'm cha- I'm delu- I'm changing my image man I'm not doing this Uh, I'll do the other one. I'll do Night Shift. If I'm going to do a comedy, I want to do an R-rated. And
1: it's actually, when you look back at Night Shift now, it's really not that R-rated at all. Particularly by today's standards, I feel like it's kind of like, eh, PG-13 maybe. Uh, Behind the scenes it certainly was, wasn't it, Ron? (laughs) (laughs) For some of
0: us.
1: (laughs) I mean, you know, just uh, Henry Winkler and Michael Keaton and and, uh, Shelley Long and Richard Belzer. mm. I mean, it's like... It's just such a, an amazing cast.
3: Brian produced the hell out of that movie to get that movie going, and and it was really the beginning of our friendship because it was so exciting and so nerve wracking. But it was and it was also, of course, the beginning of we didn't. While that wasn't an Imagine movie, it was the beginning of the partnership that was going to wind up being Imagine uh, Entertainment. It was, it, oh, go ahead, Brian.
2: And it was really interesting in that, um, you know, there was a moment I think I know Ron thought he was going to get fired. He thought the studio was firing him, and I think he felt like. You know, I, I don't know if they were or they weren't But I think he felt like I was protecting him And that he wouldn't get fired And also Michael Keaton definitely thought he was getting fired Because he was chewing gum in every scene And it got, bothered the studio Yeah, it bothered the <laughs> studio Ron's is all cut what around What a good
1: note <laughs> oh,
2: Anyway, so um, But it was, it was a really fun event for us I mean, it was, great. It was a really amazing journey Because it was such an underdog David and Goliath type of experience To get that movie made and, and and splash was even harder even really harder enough. and when
3: we when we came through with those two experiences i mean really the friendship and the partnership was galvanized by uh, by all of that and then oh just a couple of years later we realized that we were both separately being very very entrepreneurial gent with our own you know individual production companies and if we just kind of merged them um, you know there might be a way to simplify focus and be you know a lot more dynamic and look In a lot of ways, through this excitement, now, as Brian was saying earlier, you know, broadening number of outlets and platforms and so forth, it sort of feels like um, another new moment of opportunity. It's it's fun and our executives at Imagine feel it and – and, and, you know, it's a, you don't quite know where it's going, but, you know, we're, we're, ba- we're back involved in digital. You know, we tried to get into that in 99 with Pop.com. We were always wanting yeah. to be in the digital world. It's just that
1: technology too wasn't early. there yet. No, it wasn't yeah. there yet.
3: Now we're back in with a company involved with a company called Newform, and and it's really fun to to interface with those digital content, you know, creators and uh, um, Things, things like this project and others i'm doing a beatles documentary uh which is exciting and then there's still you know there're m- movies get in the heart of the sea coming out and i just finished inferno with tom hanks and and mina uh, uh with uh tom cruise and you know so the company is is going going gangbusters and of course tv is so
1: exciting right now oh yeah, yeah. i mean it's you know uh, year, years ago. I used to hang out on the Newhart set because a friend of mine was really? on the show. Oh, great show. And 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 I would have these conversations with these guys because I was such a comedy nerd. I was just absorbing, you know, <laughs> Tom Poston and Newhart and Dick Dick Martin. But Dick said one of the the most bummer things to me, which I was like, "So, what is it, you know, you've achieved this thing, this like what does it feel like?" And he goes, "Well, you know, it's really only fun on the way up and then it just plateaus." <laughs> like he just seemed like uh, like it just wasn't as f- fun anymore. Like you know when he was doing laughing and all that. Like yeah. that was the meteoric. But then now, so it's very comforting to me to hear you be excited. You know this this fu- after all the stuff that you've done, without going. Yeah, I mean <laughs> you know whatever.
2: We're both neither of us are really constructed that way. I think even, on any – I mean I think we like challenges. Yeah. And stories are challenges. They're they're little puzzles. And, and they, take all, they take all these different sort of sizes and shapes and forms, like we were talking about New Form, which is – these are pieces that are three to five minutes. Um, but television can be 22 minutes. Now Empires whatever length it is, but it's short. It's, it's, it's slightly longer content because there's the way they are sponsor television now. Sure. The modern way of sponsoring television. It's going to really change a lot. But we – I think we feel like – we're good at it, and we <laughs> we like doing. It. And we like the partnerships. We like the co- creative
3: collaborations with whether you know, and it's it's been great for us to be able to to be in the comedy world at an elite level, and turn around and be able to work with the greatest dramatic you know artists uh, as well, or you know now interfacing and doing research with scientists and so forth, which is you know we we've been doing that. For the last twenty years, sort of starting with the first movie that we did, inspired by real events, which was you know Apollo thirteen, right. And and over the years, we've you know we've we've been at, both at, attracted to that kind of storytelling in that genre.
1: And is it uh, w- getting involved with NASA? Was that just a thing that you had always wanted to do, or did did the project spawn the relationship, or was it the reverse? project spawned the relationship. We
3: had an executive working with his name, Michael Bostick, whose father, Jerry, was a mission controller. And so Michael brought us the story and said, Jim Lovell's about to publish this book. This is a really exciting chapter. And people had really forgotten about Apollo 13. I, vague, you know, I vaguely, vaguely remembered it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I said, I I, I, well, I, will cop to the fact that I said, boy, I don't know. It's kind of, what, what do you think, Brian? I'm not sure whether an audience is going to be into this. Look, the right stuff's as good a space movie as you could make, and people didn't really show up. And Brian read it, and I got to say, he said, this is a great story. It's a thriller. And just got it. And we chased it. It was really competitive to get the rights to it. And we were, I remember we were up in the middle of the
2: night. I was on the East Coast. You we were on the West Coast. Yeah. We were calling. It went into one of those Hollywood bidding wars where every studio was bidding on it. And, uh, and those are things that are sort of um, – sometimes they're sort of artificial momentum that generates it. And, but – It became one of these things that we had to like close in the middle of the night, two o'clock in the morning, and you know, get it all done.
1: But that's the thing is is figuring out how to balance the creative process with the navigating the business process, which navigating the business is is literally like a death trap for creativity. It is almost, you know, it's almost designed to yeah. destroy anything creative when things start getting into business affairs mode and people and the business coming in where you can do this, you can't do this or, you know, I mean, it how do you navigate how do you keep the creative uh vision whole while trying to get through
2: all that process? I think that we don't take uh rejection personally. I, I don't know if Ron does, but I i don 't take it personally, I just feel like and i 've had tons of it thrown on me, you know, like on the movie Splash, probably five hundred rejections, I mean rejection after rejection after rejection, uh, but then I, I just for a simple thing, I watched that Steven Spielberg, who 's a real genuine uh, artistic pro, you know, artist and prodigy. He'd made Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He did Jaws and Raiders, and the studio put E.T. into Turnaround. (laughs) So I thought, this is fucking ridiculous. I mean, for me to start crying about someone not wanting to do my next movie after Splash had really been gigantically successful, I thought, this is just the game we're in. Everyone is going to second-guess the stuff we really want to make, and they're going to try to hire Ron for the stuff they want to make. And he's gonna. There's. He'll find the middle. He'll find his balance. And for myself, as a producer, the same thing. I've, I'm, you know, always flattered that people want to meet with us and offer Ron movies, and you know, I'm always able to get the best shot possible. But they still say no, and I'm, I'm cool with it. I wish they didn't but I'm cool that I just accept it like smog <laughs> <laughs>
1: the business spoken really by is...
3: two two guys who grew up in the valley when the smog was like you know it's completely as bad, all the, the, bad the, the, the hills are just trapping
1: be. it in yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is okay to breathe yeah. right when you're landing in that goes, gray cloud yeah. oh, I don't, are you sure this <laughs> is that? <laughs> it's probably fine why would we let us live here if it wasn't fine right guys <laughs> one
3: more sm- one more lap <laughs> coach what about the smog alert <laughs> one more lap I
0: can't I can't
1: get up <laughs> I, I just, you know, I'm so. I, there, there's no the way that we look back at the, thir- you know, the 1930s. You know, when we're like those morons were, you know, sleeping on asbestos while they were waiting to go to work at the nail factory. <laughs> you know, now people are gonna look back and go. They held their cellular phones to their faces? <laughs> Are you serious? I mean it's like so many of those things yeah, that yeah, I feel absolutely. like so – yeah. that, And that's where science comes back and we're like, hey, hopefully they'll figure this out. And it's, I, I guess it's – there is an acceptable level of risk that we live with every day that I think just sort of runs in the background. Well, look, it's a, faci- it's a pretty fascinating
3: time because clearly there's – you know, this, this, this revolution is having a seismic impact on people's psyches. And, uh the way they live and the way they think and and uh, the globe is coming together on the one hand and on the other hand you know in some ways separating further because of the have have-nots as it relates to, to technology and so they're, they're just there are all kinds of dynamics that are that are in flux and you know and and it ripples to the entertainment world it it certainly has impacted the economy it's fascinating to watch and I think for a couple of people like us who've had some decades of work, and, and, and it's kind of came for us, I think, at a, sort of a perfect time because it does present a new specific set of, of questions. And it's not about doing the same thing we did five years ago or ten years ago. Yeah. It's, it's everything we learned about stories. That's relevant. But the, what's exciting is what our audience is looking for now. It's changing so quickly. What, w- there's, a, as Brian said, talent – uh, has a, mo- a little more control now than they've had before, yeah. and it's more about a direct relationship with their particular audience. Mm-hmm. That's that's interesting. It's always been there to a degree, but but you know, as, as you said, the gatekeepers and the, and the middlemen were a little
2: more in 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 the way of. Yeah, I mean, look, how well would Nerdist do without you, <laughs> <laughs> John? Hope, it's like I like hope we John, never find out. <laughs> look at John Stewart. John Stewart, he created, he really made Comedy Central happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, these—it's mm-hmm. individuals that are now defining the content. Yeah, because ultimately, people don't necessarily
1: care where they get their content; they just want good content. They just these, want good content. As yeah. consumers, we're spoiled now because we can get it whenever we want, however we want. You and st- there's a billion choices. There's an infinite, approaching
2: infinite number of choices. And you can DVR anything. You can get it on YouTube. There's unlimited access to it, and you can do it any time. You don't have to do it that day. You can do it. And as you know, the numbers in TV—it's live plus three, live plus seven. So it's. I'm telling you, the Nerdist this... wouldn't be anything without you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: what I keep telling them. <laughs>
1: but the but this but this idea of the way that you know you were talking about Empire and the, and, and the relationship that you have to sponsors. I mean, this th- there is definitely a shift happening because this this antiquated idea of the way that television is measured, the, the metric is 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 flawed because there is certainly a, a a cultural penetration that exists that is not represented by that one linear number of the Nielsen rating. Right. You know, like, you, you know when the conversations are more about something online. You know when, when there's an, a general awareness of something beyond what that one story will tell. So, you know, how do you find, how, how, how do people start creating relationships with, with sponsors that are sort of very old, you know, there's still a lot of them are still running on the old system. How do you convince them, no, 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 that's not how people are consuming things anymore. You know, let's create a, for lack of a better word, a holistic approach to viewing and cover all the platforms to, to deliver to sponsors.
3: Well, it's it's a it's this running conversation and everybody's got the same couple of questions and then you know, and, and then you've got a little group that's kind of clinging to the, the old way always um, <laughs> yeah. and, and making an argument that it still holds up. But clearly you know, there's an evolution happening. But the, the this bizarre thing about it for me is that when I was a kid on The Andy Griffith Show, we had to do commercials for General Foods. And you can go on YouTube and watch old TV shows and see you know, all the characters turning to the camera. You know, even like even at the beginning of the episode, this was before the Andy Griffith Show, and doing it and doing a commercial about a product, yeah. and then launching into their show. It used to, when the Andy Griffith Show sold, it actually sold to General Foods before it sold to CBS. Wow! So in an odd way,
1: it's coming back, it's kind of rotating back. I'm surprised it wasn't like. Uh... Uh, hi, I'm Opie Taylor for Winston cigarettes. Like, <laughs> Good now, for you. <laughs> they give me the vitamins I need to grow up strong. Light up, Opie. <laughs> <laughs> look how young I look. <laughs> Let's have a father-son talk. <laughs> I think Opie took almost smokes again. Like, just, like, that was. It just seemed like it was. Everything was fair yeah. game. But but yeah, that dynamic that that that. That seems like it's coming back. Why? Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't a sponsor? You know, and and essentially that's kind of what breakthrough is as well. Yeah. Like GE came in and invested to make this thing, and it's it's about them, but not about them. And and I think those are th- those types of moves are the way that entertainment is. That's where everything's going. Yeah, for sure.
2: Well, there's such a subtlety now with so many out, uh, outlets to gather gain information immediately. Um, that I mean. It's the authentic moment that people are able to detect immediately. And so, you know, if break – I think VGE feels like is they feel like they're in this space anyway. In other words, they are out there trying to solve problems on the planet. And they feel like – I'm sure they feel if the show is good, people will feel that we're part of it. Sure. Because it doesn't say – it doesn't really say it. But they'll feel it. And so – it's a lot of these things are sort of actionable. I mean, if you see in the tech business, it's really that, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the guy Travis from Uber, by the way, who I know, he grew up in Granada Hills. He went to Granada Hills High School. I went to Chatsworth. Ron was in Burbank. So it's all possible. See? Oh, what well. <laughs> <laughs> Glorious downtown Long Burbank. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, now, uh,
1: I feel like I have a memory of you being on Saturday Night Live and Eddie Murphy chastising you and calling you Opie Cunningham, Opie Cunningham. Oh, yeah. and you get, which I thought was such a brilliant way for you to publicly say, I know you think of me as these characters, yeah. but fuck you, I am not these characters. Yeah.
3: Well, Eddie really kind of improvised that. Uh, and uh, it was, it was uh, you know, that was certainly the, the, the overall sort of spirit of that, uh, that appearance on the show. But then he t- took out a fucking razor and started trying to ra- shave my mustache off on TV. <laughs> <laughs> <Really? Yes. laughs> wow, I do okay, remember that. That's yeah, crazy. But uh,
2: Andy uh, Warhol also, who was a friend of mine, wanted to shave Ron's uh, These mustache. guys didn't like my mustache, right? I don't know. I was just, no, I'm just trying he, to look Andy older. Andy Warhol thought Ron Howard, he's an American icon. He's like, I want to see him both ways, with and without. Andy wanted to see me both ways. Oh, geez. Well, let's, uh, I guess. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I, we'll keep going on your track. Uh, no, I just
1: think. I just think the idea of Andy Warhol shaving off your mustache as an art project is an interesting idea. Like, I should have yeah.
3: done it. I should have done it. it Brian, grows back. Brian floated it out to me, and I just kind of. I, I
2: don't know. I wasn't paying attention. But but that, but you <laughs> know what though? I think that does underscore. Oh, Ron! It only would have meant about a hundred million dollars of art.
0: <laughs> to you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, maybe I should have let him... In a... That's a fish story. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but it is, but it, I think it does kind of underscore that idea of keeping your head down and continuing to do what you want in the face of people trying to put you in a box. Well, no, you're this guy. How can you do this? Yeah. Well, because I can. I, this is what I want to do. Yeah. And, and And, you know, what was it that kept you going at that time? Was it pure... Passion was it the fact that you you know you had a stable relationship or like what, what types of things kept you going?
3: Well, well, all of it. But as I became a director, I knew that I'd spent 20 years, I, my entire childhood, you know, uh, b- basically being on one television series or another. From 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 1960 to 1980, I was on a TV show, whether it was the Andy Griffith Show or the Smith Family with Henry Fonda, or then Happy Days. For 17 and a half out of those 20 years. Wow. And I love movies. I love stories. I love all kinds of stories. And I did not want to be branded. I, I intentionally did not want to be the comedy guy right. or the fantasy guy. And, and so that was just my ambition. And, I, and I, I followed that path by continually going back to the list of my favorite movies. And I would sort of say, which, which – you know, I want movies that could be on that list. I want to find stories that could be on that list, and because of my taste, it's a very eclectic list. Uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, I recognize that it's a little confusing for somebody to follow, you know, to sort of follow my filmography. Because let's say you really think The Grinch or Willow or something is a blast and a great fantasy movie or is something. I- how are you going to feel about, about Frost Nixon? Right. Is that what you want to see me doing, or would you rather I was doing
1: more Willows, you know, and you, vice but versa? You, but you have to – but, you know, it's funny. In as much as people want to put you in a box, if you allow yourself to be put in a box, then you burn out faster because people get it. But you, mm-hmm. I feel like you have to make well, those wild choices. I, I had been
3: in those boxes, and I just didn't want to live that way. And, and, and I'm also not um, – naturally a very adventuresome person but I began to realize that each of these movies could be kind of an amazing life adventure and so I just kept pushing it and just kept uh, embracing it I didn't want to be like pretentiously shocking about it Um, um, you know but I but I, I I wanted to I wanted it to evolve and I wanted to broaden my viability as a collaborator. So I wanted the elite writers to want to work with me. I wanted the elite actors to believe that, that, that they could flourish under my direction. And, uh, and in, in, in my partnership with Brian, I had similar, he had similar ambitions. You know? And so uh, we're very different guys. We approach things from slightly different perspectives. But the thing that we always have in common is this kind of goal to find something that can cut through you know find something fresh find something that has a point of view tell it well you know and it doesn't always work but we've got a good batting average as a result
1: what do you like on a on a set what is your when you you know when the first day of shooting i mean obviously you've done a lot of work getting up to that first day of shooting, yeah. but what's your approach when you know when all the actors are there the crew is there you're ready to start i mean like is it do you f- do you feel like okay? This has to be a controlled environment, or do you let things breathe the way that they're going to happen? Like wh- how how are you on, a, on the set? I think that he's
2: he's done so much preparation that when he gets to the set, he's amazingly comfortable and relaxed and confident. All of those things, and in fact, he likes little distractions. Like let's Brian talk about something other than the movie. Let's talk about whatever anything, other problems, other you know. Let's hear about this TV show, whatever. He's likes the uh, he's. So confident and it's like it's, it's really – you should go on his, one of his sets because he will talk to you, whatever – I mean and really connect with you, like be really focused. And then the minute it's action is like a, another superpower of level of focus. It's really fun to watch actually.
1: Yeah, I mean because when, especially when you have a collection – and again, I mean the list, you know, as I completely uh, uh, slobber all over you – Parenthood, I think, is also not only one of the best comedies, but also one of the most human touching films. Oh, thanks. That you know, I st- even as a kid, I watched that movie thirty times. Yeah. You know, yeah. I got sucked in by the Rick Moranis and the Steve Martin of it. Yeah. But then the the story of it, it's such a beautiful story, and everyone's so wonderful in it. So how do you, when you have that many brilliant people in, in one area, what is it that you do to make them comfortable? Because they obviously they're all experienced. They need to see you as their captain. So how do you establish that with well, them? Well, by then, of course, that was Gans and Mandel, who also did night
3: Shift, Splash, right. gung ho. Bob Lugo, uh, yeah. L- Bob Lugo, L- Mandel, and Lowell Gans, and and, yeah. Gans. and, and uh, um, so they were right at the at the height of their their powers. And we all so related to that story. We all really contributed to that to to that. Brian, we had these great pitch
2: sessions, and you know, it was as the during Storms. the writers' strike. Now there's a, it's a statue of limitations, but it was. <laughs> During the writers' strike, where nobody was allowed to write, and we just got a bungalow at the the Bel Air Hotel and kind of hashed it out. Yeah, against (laughs) orders, against orders. But uh, see, we're defiant. (laughs) (laughs) So, but by
3: that time, I I I was uh, I was very confident, and I and, and and one of the things that I love to do is connect with the cast and understand the way they work. And it's all, it's not exactly a perfect process, but I can I can you know I can see what Keanu Reeves what's making him tick and, and how he's connecting with his character, uh, you know Steve Martin or Rick Moranis you know different animals. Altogether. Diane Weist is so or oh, oh, she's in that great. Movie. Yeah. So so th- that's fun for me to work with a group like that and help create an environment where they can flourish. And I suppose that's what I've I've uh, I, I sort of feel that I'm I'm kind of the editor in chief of the movie, sure. and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to lead these people to, to do their best work, whether that's the cinematographer and the production designer, um, the composer, or certainly the, the actors. But when I was younger, really young, 23, 24, I felt like I, I had to control everything, and I had to be decisive, and I had to already have the answers, and I had to be tough. And my work got a lot better when I learned how to be more uh, collaborative, and, and now I really flourish. Uh, in 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 that, I love it. I love the excitement of a of um of a of a of a problem being solved, and I don't it doesn't have to be my solution. I'm mean, I'm even more excited when it's not. It's like a gift. I didn't have to think of that. Yeah, somebody else came up with a brilliant idea.
1: Yeah, because I think it's one thing to be able to get an amazing performance out of, you know, a, a newer actor. But when you can take someone who's been, you know, like that's been their profession for 20, 30 years, and you guys can surprise each other, I mean, that to me seems like those are the, those are the moments, the gems. Well, let's talk about parenting for one second on that count.
3: So you got Keanu Reeves, who was young then, eager, hadn't really done a comedy it was before Bill and Ted's, I think, or Bill and Ted's maybe it was, hadn't been seen yet. Uh, but he, he really wanted this. He auditioned for it, he won it. He was really great to work with. Lot, but, but. Um, not a comic, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and yet he had a lot of comedy moments and uh, very authentic and attacking it with a lot of energy, and I really enjoyed it. But it was it was uneven. You had to capture it in a way. It was a little bit elusive, and then all of a sudden, it was kind of fantastic, and I loved yeah. it. Then I had Jason Robards. and. One of the first days of shooting with Jason Robards, he's doing this scene with Tom Hulse where he's supposed to be... Tra- it's kind of it's one of the most dramatic moments where he realizes his son is just a disappointment and that's yeah. the way it goes. And he wasn't very emotional in his reaction. And I went up to him and I and I didn't know how to talk to him. He was a senior actor, a great actor, award winner in every category, two, Emmys, Tonys, Oscars. And I said, uh, you know, I think here we need... Uh, this is a moment where your son is... He's, he's letting you down. And I was sort of talking him to the moment, and he just reached out and touched me, and he said, Ron, do you want a sadder face? <laughs> and I thought, okay, now here's the veteran fucking with the young director. Now the next take, he's going to make a big sad face, and then I'll have to come in and say maybe somewhere in the middle. And, and we rolled cameras, and it was the take that's in the movie that was so elegant and so true. And I realized, here's somebody who has reached a point where he has such access to those gears? He has such access to himself that it can be as simple as Satterface, and that's not going to come off as broad and fake. Right. It's going to be entirely organic. And so this journey of working with actors is always really fascinating. Uh, but I learned a lot on that day.
1: Well, I think you know one of the things that I that I think that I've noticed is that you are masterful at sort of breaking into the humanity of something. You know what? What was the human experience like for Apollo thirteen? What is the human experience for that family and parenthood, or even cocoon? What is the yeah. what is the human experience for that, or the human experience of running, uh, you know, a a, a call girl ring out of the out of the, <laughs> out of the morgue? But but you know, the, the moment where Keanu Reeves, where you see him for a second, you know, where he talks about how you need a license for everything, but to be yeah. a dad, and how his dad woke him up by flicking cigarettes. Yeah. That's such an amazing moment that. You just, oh, whoa, you know, this character, that was a time when that kind of like, whoa, I'm this surfer guy, isn't that, that burnout, it was, it was being done a lot, and that was the first time that I'd ever seen someone humanize yeah. that type of a character. well it was, it, was, it was great writing. What you're talking about is that,
3: that perspective is another thing that Brian and I share just in terms of sensibility, whether it's the subjects, whatever subject, it's sort of what's it like to be there? What's it like to be that person Brian talks about it a lot in terms of like um, power but and I look at it more like um, uh, the test the way the character's being tested, but the upshot is kind of the the same it's it's is to try to give the audience um, a sense of what the world is like and what it's like from this character's perspective and to and to, and to um, you know to
1: experience the the story did you was there ever a you, you. I assume you met probably all of your heroes. Were you able? I mean, the ones that were alive. Did you kind of dig around for advice, or was there like what? What were some of the most valuable advice you got from people that you respected?
2: It's often advice from me. <laughs> 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 he he didn't no, know. Great question. Uh, John Wayne. You John Wayne.
3: John Wayne told me that John Ford always said, "Take the." Take the emotional moment up to about 80% and let the audience finish it.
2: Oh, wow. Jeez, that's good. Holy I, shit.
3: Never that, let yeah. it go all the way 100% to the emotional conclusion. Always hold back something
1: to let the audience... <laughs> that is a layered... That's John weird. Wayne told me that John Ford told him. Uh, I mean, that uh, is a very yeah, incredibly yeah. layered... Uh, uh, yeah. And did you really understand what he meant at the time? Yeah, I did. And I haven't always followed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, sometimes I regret it. But with comedy, it's very hard and because... You, you, comedy is a relationship to your audience and sometimes they will tell you what's too much or what's not too much you know and why do you think that comedy doesn't get as much respect from uh, I don't know I just feel like shouldn't more comedies be nominated for and Oscars like comedy's really fucking hard like why why why
2: because they don't get I mean I mean it was sort of like what goes is it the cart or the horse but uh, it doesn't get respect because it doesn't get awards now I remember on Splash, I was nominated for as for to be part of one. You know, I was part of the writers, uh, and, and of course we didn't win. Like a Place in the Heart wins. Places in the <laughs> Heart. Robert Benton wins. <laughs> I mean, it just seems so obvious. Um, but that was pretty amazing to even get a nomination on a comedy script yeah. like that. But that so, was sort of so. Why problem. doesn't comedy? I don't. Uh, I guess it. I guess it's just the. Um, the delivery system itself is not doesn't feel as serious. Like people like serious stuff. So yeah. it feels like um, escapism. Comedy also and, I think
1: has its roots more in in yeah. vulgarity
2: in the sense that uh, not,
1: not like dirty, but just vulgar yeah. in the sense, like, well, the common people like vaudeville. I have
2: a I have a thought now that, that I hadn't ever said or thought about even. But here's the thing people, consumers, people that watch movies. First of all, they like to believe that they themselves are good people, so they always score movies higher if they can relate to a person that is doing a good thing. Sure. So, in Apollo 13, even when it was like five hours long, it got really high ratings <laughs> because everybody wants to think of themselves as being the, having the power, the strength, the ability, the selflessness to be an astronaut. Of course, you rate it really high. But some comedian like Jim Carrey catching his <laughs> catching a fart on fire. No matter how funny that was, it's just not going to be. It's just not going to read his the Oscar high. goes to fart <laughs> on fire. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so um, I think I think it's about that. I think it's about self imaging.
1: Yeah. yeah. What yeah. have you? Is is there anything that you've that you've seen as a through line for? You know, I think I asked you this question because you've talked to so many, but huh. you've worked with. Everyone – is there a through line that you think that defines what a, what, what a successful person is, yes. what they do, how they, how they maintain? I landed on this early because there's a period in my life
3: from like around, I don't know, 17 to 25 where I wound up working with Henry Fonda, uh, Jimmy Stewart, and John Wayne. I directed Betty Davis and it was very – and it suddenly dawned on me that very different personalities but – Here's what they had in common. They're all people in their seventies, and all they want to do is fulfill the possibility. They have such respect for the medium. They have they're willing to, to just kill themselves at that point in their lives. They don't know any other way but to work the shit out of it and understand it and not let not miss the opportunity that each of these scenes offers up and it's work ethic it over and over and mm-hmm. over again it just comes back to work ethic how much do you care how much do you care about what it says how much do you care about how the, the way the audience responds how much do you care about your ability to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say I, wor- I worked hard today i did i lived up to the
1: possibility of the scene the moment and the medium and and so what do you do as, a, as the captain of the ship as a director uh, obviously not I, I don't i didn't you, with someone like Betty Davis, or or, or even with any, I, I don't even know what. A, with someone who, when you when you have the when you have to make your calls that day and you have to get your shots done, if someone is ever difficult or in the way, or it's like, oh come on, can you just please work with us on this? Like, how do you how do you get around when? Well, well I'm not the boys' vice principal. My job is to not make everybody get
3: along and feel good. My job is to get the scene to to work, and um, so whatever. You know, what, whatever that entails. It could be cajoling. It could be confronting. It could be sympathizing. It could be looking the other way. But at the end of the day, it's just – if the logic of the objectives of the scenes always, always trumps everything. Sure. And so you talk to an artist – However, they might feel about the objectives of the scene, and you're gonna, and you know, you've got a good chance of getting there.
1: I just think, you know, when you have a group of actors, it's probably like having a group of kids. And if they feel like they can walk all over you, they probably will in in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. So, how do you set the tone of like,
2: hey, we're nice, but don't fuck with us because we have to get this done? Well, first of all, directors themselves have to create these imaginary walls or lines. That where the where the talent doesn't jump over the wall, and create be mutinous, you know, where they or they don't disrespect you. So Ron is very good at because of, well, certainly because of his track record, um, artists will respect him. They respect they respect his choices, but they do really respect and they can feel his work ethic. So they don't want to just dis- do anything that could disrespect him. So therefore, they don't. Jump the wall. Now, there are some directors that you've read about in in history where they jump the wall. But um, for the most part, I mean, that that definitely doesn't happen with Ron. The other thing is – and Tom Hanks likes to tease Ron like – because you never ever see Ron Howard angry except when people – waste time or lazy and waste time if they're lazy and waste time that's when tom and he's god damn it you know i'm so mad at you (laughs) Uh, i mean
1: you know to watch i know i have my group of friends my actor comedian friends and it's been fun to sort of watch all of us kind of make our own roads and oh you got to do that oh that's really amazing oh that's it. you know but you know, when you look back, oh, Tom Hanks and Michael Keaton and all these, all these amazing people, I mean, you guys really all got to see each other. It was the second part of your career, but okay. in a sense, you did have to start over. Yeah. So you guys have all really started together, and, you know, so what is that experience like of looking around and seeing your friends and going, hey, I think I was onto something, and we're all still doing this, and that's amazing. Mm.
2: It's really rewarding, isn't it? Yeah, it's really rewarding. I mean, okay. we, yeah, with Tom Hanks, of course, we've done, I think I've worked with him. Five or six times, and that's I was
3: insane. so I was so glad to see uh, Keaton come roaring back into everybody. Oh, Bird was everybody's mind with Birdman was incredible, Yeah, know? And, I, and I haven't seen the movie that's coming out. I hear he's yeah, great. Yeah, he's too. on fire. It's so great. Yeah.
2: It is great to see our friends. You know, that we were
3: part of their early part of their career. Well, Brian, especially with Eddie Murphy, done a lot of great movies. And, and Eddie was a big star. Yeah. But, you know, it just kind of kept evolving. Yeah, I kept think I did seven, seven
2: movies with him and a television show. I, just, I
1: read a really fantastic article with him because it seems like he's sort of nosing around to start doing stuff again. And yeah. he made this really interesting point where he said, yeah, people just assume that if you're taking some time off and relaxing that you've hit the skids. <laughs> he's like, I'm just... You know, I've written, like, four things, you know, and it seems yeah. not like he might dabble in stand-up again or something. But yeah. uh, I don't know. I some, he and I have
2: something we're going to figure out together, Eddie and I. Oh, good.
1: It'll be really amazing. I think he's – I, you know, when I talk about comedy not being recognized by his performance in Bowfinger, to me, oh, yeah. is oh. one of the best comedy performances Of all time, wasn't that amazing? Yeah, he's the most unaware. Like his character, there are some people who play comedy, and you're like, ah, they know they're doing comedy. He is such a he disappears into those characters. Eddie's a genius. Let me tell you,
3: going back to when I did Saturday Night Live, and he was on it, and he he was already, you know, he was super hot. I mean, and we sort of tried to get him interested in Night Shift, and he wasn't, and he wasn't. So I mean, at 18 or 19. He was very hot. Everybody knew that, but. I came on to do the show. He couldn't be there for the first couple of days because he was doing some press on one of, you know, 48 hours or something. He came in. The first day, he was kind of low-key. at the read-through, kind of mumbled it. There wasn't much going on. And I witnessed this guy click in a way. And by show night, he was rewriting on his feet. It was perfect. I like fumbled a line. He saved me. <laughs> he saved me, and then and then, and then I kind of came back with an okay line, and he kind of <laughs> gave me a wink. This nineteen-year-old guy was on another plane, on another <laughs> level, and and um, you know,
1: and he he can do just about anything he that he decides he wants to do. Are there who is there anyone out there that you still you're like oh I really want to work with that guy or this or this lady or this or who, who's out oh, there? Well,
3: so many. I mean, there's just uh, there's there you know there's so much there's so much talent. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, I think, I think, fa- you know, fascinating. Jerry, Jake Gyllenhaal is suddenly turning. You know, he's just doing one interesting performance after uh, another. I've always wanted to connect with Meryl Streep. Yeah. You know, but th- but there are um, you know there there are just so many people. Bryce, my daughter had such a great experience with Chris Pratt. You know, I'd really like <laughs> to try to find something to do with Chris and and my daughter one of these
1: days. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the other thing too, is that how do you? Because I think. Sometimes people go, well, why don't you just go make a thing? You know, why don't you just make a thing? I'm like, well, it's not really that easy. No. You know, no. like there are a lot of steps. Uh, like how many projects do you guys have for everything that people have seen? Are there 10 that people <laughs> haven't seen yet? More than
2: 10. Yeah, there's more. Than, yeah. I have a – we have a lot of television shows um, and more to come that are going to be out next season. Um, there's a lot. We have a lot. We have, we're interested in – Many things, you know, um, and your your son Seth uh, Gable, right? Son-in-law, son-in-law. Seth Gable is on, uh, and
1: he's fantastic on Salem. On Salem. He's yeah. great on Salem. He's a really good actor. Yeah, and he's also a good writer. It turns. I mean, out. it's you know, you're so surrounded by creativity <sighs> at all times, and you know, I, I, I hope you, I hope you feel the indirect, you know, the sort of the shadow of that outside of just exactly what you're making, but just all the people around you that are that are sort of caught up in it too
3: oh thanks. But, that, yeah. that, that, that feels good. And again, there is something about this moment. I don't know if it's because all my kids are grown. I don't, I, I think it's a, it's a it's a combination of where our company is, um, our interests, what the business is offering, and and sort of and sort of our moment, my moment, kind of in terms of how available I can be to these various projects. But I feel what you're saying more now than 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 I think I ever have because I'm just can be ever so slightly less myopic and look a little more at the at the big picture of all the different things that we're getting to work on cuz
1: it's, it's you know I think it would probably melt your brain if you really thought about it but when you when you when you think about all the people that you probably put up here in your life these you know like big directors that you look up to I mean you guys you've done more than them. <laughs> I mean you're like you think of the great directors of you know, like maybe three or four movies, big movies I and mean, uh-huh. but to see how much television and how many how many films. I mean your your IMDB page is like, oh that one? Oh fuck that one? Oh that one too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <sighs> I mean that is uh, maybe it's best that you don't think about it too much. I think it's best. But <laughs> you know, even if even if you were even if you had just made Arrest of Development. Even if you had just <laughs> made Arrested of <laughs> Development. Yeah. I mean that that, move, that show was so <clears throat> heartbreaking for me to lose and so happy to see it come back to Netflix. Uh, like what was it that made you feel like, well, I need to be directly involved. I need to narrate this. I need to be that directly what,
3: involved. Well, I, I was a big proponent of, the, of, of a narrator. Uh, and, 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 and sort of this style that I thought was kind of the, represented what was then a kind of new grammar in TV, which, which, which was, uh, you know, sort of faux documentary sort of look, a, 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 a kind of sociological look at this fucked up family. And Mitch really embraced it. So Mitch had the family and I had this sort of style in mind of how we might go at it. I thought we could be, you know, that comedically we could be more dense. And I used to reference the Simpsons a little bit as mm-hmm. well, you know, and, uh, um, and th- so they tr- we tried the narration, and I did it as a temp, and then they tested it. And <laughs> Mitch <laughs> called me up. I was shooting The Missing, you know, up in Santa Fe, freezing somewhere uh. with uh, Kate Blanchett and Tommy Lee Jones on horses somewhere. And uh, and Mitch called and said, uh, I, "Well, Ron, I got good news and bad news for you." And I said, "Well, what is it?" He said, "The good news is." Looks like we're going to get on the air, and the show tested great. And I said, "Well, well then, oh, what's the bad news?" The bad news for you is that the highest testing element was the narrator. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> so we, well, you, well, you got to do it. Yeah. And I said, "Okay." So I, I, so I, and I, and I'm, I'm so glad it worked out that way. Although I keep getting the. I get $2500 a week and I've never gotten a raise and I'm getting a little pissed <laughs> off about it. <laughs> I,
2: think, I
1: think if anyone ever has the experience to hang out with Jim Valley and Mitch Hurwitz together. Oh. Le- Valley is legitimately one of the funniest l- one of the funniest people you could hang out with. I'm glad you mentioned Jim, an amazing unsung hero,
3: and they're at it now. You know, I mean they're they're trying to tackle new episodes and a new and, so and so a new approach. So, and it's really it's just that the cast has become such a group of all stars that it's hard to know if you can get them together, of you know, but and by by the Trump. way,
1: just you mentioned uh, the mit- working with Tommy Lee Jones. He seems like the kind of guy that you could just walk up to every day and just pinch his cheeks and go, "Hello, Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, Look at this sad face. Oh, you're so." Bad. Uh, if you didn't care about the teeth in your mouth
3: or the th- or your nose, I think you could do that. <laughs> is it, is <laughs> what, what a brilliant it? guy! Amazing guy because he can turn around. He can have he can have the you know uh, he's a highly educated guy. Sure. And and so he can be having this erudite conversation with. With an academic who might be visiting him that day, and then turn around and, without speaking down in any way, shape, or form, have the the earthiest, most connected conversation with the wranglers yeah. about you know what they're doing with the horses that day and how
1: they're managing it. And it's, he's a, he's an amazing intellect. So how do you tackle a personality that's a very strong personality and get them to do what you need? Well, you don't have to tackle him because you
3: you're you're uh, you're applying his energy and his. Talent, and once he sees that there's that kind of give and take, um, you know, a, a director actors want to be directed, they want to be guided, they want to be supported, they don't necessarily want to be bossed around. And you can always ne- navigate and negotiate, uh, you know, any creative differences with people, uh, who are in that elite caliber, you know, of that elite sure. caliber. I've found, uh, and I, and so you know. You you might find them to be prickly and annoying, or you know, in some sort of reaction that they're having at some point, but not creatively. And this is the thing that I, I always have you've in only. Oh, sorry. No, go no, ahead. Go ahead.
2: Go ahead. I think in your whole career, you've only fired one actor, right? Do you uh, count that guy as you fired him. He, I
3: fire. I in my whole career, because there was a little firing before you and I partnered up.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> maybe three. Okay, maybe Either three. Way. Wow. Well, that's, that's I think in, the, in that track record, that's not bad. I get it. I, uh, look, people respect the process, or they wouldn't be at that level. Sure. And they also get th- They know how to get through a movie, and, they want, and they, they want to deliver, they want to score, and that's what I want. So we have a hell of a lot in common going in, and yeah. we may not say things the same way, we may not approach the issues the same way. But again, I don't count myself as the one who has to guide etiquette yeah. on the set. As long as as long as uh, the, a breakdown in etiquette is not limiting what we can achieve that day, and so uh,
1: kind that's of la, last question here is, um, it, what for you is the most difficult genre to tackle, or is it all the same? Comedy. Yeah. Comedy is the hardest comedy thing. Is. It's binary. Yeah.
3: You're either hilarious yeah, and
1: and peop- and people are laughing, or it, it's a big disappointment. I mean, and you, how do you even know when you're in the edit and you've seen the same jokes fifty mm-hmm. times? And
2: you don't even know what words are anymore. Like how how do you – how are you able to – Well, you have to be with audiences. You have to keep showing it to audiences because when you're living through other people, beyond just the laughter that you'll hear, which is completely visceral, it's – when you're living it through someone else's psyche that's – that makes it a fresh perspective for you. But I did have one because I also produced a lot of comedies, all these Eddie Murphy, Nutty Professors and – Life, and as liar, you said, Liar, Liar, right? liar the nutty, yeah, uh, with Jim Carrey. Uh, you know, um, there was one moment, you, you know, we and we did a lot of successful comedies together, Ron and I. And, uh, and uh, there were these moments where I'd go, God, that's really funny. That's super funny, you know. But then there was a moment in – well, I'll say in the Nutty Professor 1 with Eddie Murphy that I was – I didn't think anything, where it was just pure, like, into the bloodstream, like, connection. And I thought, well, then that's when it's really funny. Yeah. When there's no thought or even the, th- even the thought, afterthought of, wow, that was funny. It's just, like, reaching you on some really deep level and that's that immediate. The, the only other thing that I would say is those, there are moments.
3: That, you know, making a drama is so much about the story and then the casting and, and, and creating the environment where the moments can come mm. to life. But there are moments— where actors are really bearing their souls and, um, and, and that's uncomfortable to be around because you're it's, it's thrilling and it's often really gratifying afterward and sometimes the actor feels it too but being the one that kind of has to coax and guide and create the environment for this thing that we all know has to happen but we also all know it's it's uh, painful. It's, sure. it's not easy. Those are, those are moments. I, I don't wake up in the morning thrilled that we're tackling that scene today. Well, because
1: on an emotional level, you're basically walking in and going, taking your pants off and spread your legs. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the most the – most, and I think most people would rather do that than have to bear you – know, I, I always ask actors, like, how do you mop off the emotional residue? Because your brain doesn't entirely know the difference. You still have to feel those things. Mm. Well, I'm telling you, you know, like Russell Crowe on Beautiful Mind, who's a brilliant
3: artist – but he put himself through so much to understand what was the journey that that guy was on, and to live in those moments. That you know, I don't know if he slept a night the whole movie. I, I mean, I, I he he was uh, um, it was just uh, the elect the the creative charge, the electricity was just kind of amazing. And he wasn't showy about it. He didn't talk a lot about it. But just the range of performance options that he was creating. Was was, uh, um, you know, amazing. And then you have a guy like Tom Hanks who is like Joe DiMaggio in center field. He just makes it look like nothing's <laughs> happening much. And then you, you're, in the, you're in the editing room and, and, you know, you're shooting on the day and saying, oh, that was good. Oh, that was funny. Oh, that was good. That was just about what it was supposed to be. And you get there and you put it all together and it's a Tom Hanks performance and, and you, you, you kind of don't know – how it even happened.
1: So it came to 80%. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much All for being right, here. So good to talk Thanks. to you this guys. this fun. Oh, my God, yes. Uh, oh, hey, Ron, uh, we end the podcast by telling people to enjoy their burrito. It's sort of our mantra. <laughs> oh. I, I feel like your voice would tackle that better than I would. Okay. Would you just tell, tell people, enjoy your burrito? Enjoy your burrito. Perfect!
0: <laughs> thank you. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito